They always do a good job. Appreciate appreciate that. Elijah. We're talking about Elijah this morning. We're moving into that section of First Kings on Wednesday nights. So the title of the lesson is Elijah, the man in his times. And it is First Kings, the 17th chapter, where he comes on the scene and the nation is in spiritual decline. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But God is going to use Elijah to try to call that nation back to him. Three points there. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the times, and then Elijah the man. I'll just go ahead and pull up that first slide. Elijah the prophet. As we get into this, though, I'll just tell you, there's a great deal of information that is given about Elijah in the Old Testament. And it has been said before, when you think some of, about some of the Old Testament characters, and you think about Moses, and you think about movies, and you think about Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and Moses gets the Prince of Egypt. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what about Elijah? Because, you know, he's pretty significant. And he's a major prophet, and there's a lot of material that is given in the Old Testament, plus... Every gospel mentions Elijah. Two other books mention Elijah, Romans and James. And who was it that was on the mount in Matthew, the 17th chapter? Moses and Elijah. He gets a lot of preps. And Luke, the 17th, or Luke, the first chapter, I should say. There's one that is going to go before the Lord in the, spout, in the power and the spirit of Elijah, and we know who that was. That was John the Baptist, wasn't it? So uh, Elijah gets a lot of attention, and it gets a lot of press, and it's certainly worth studying him and his life and what we can learn from that. There'll be some sort of exciting things that we'll see from his life, and there'll probably be a few lessons that are done about Elijah from the book of 1 Kings, and then that carries on over into 2 Kings. But we think about Elijah and him being sent to Ahab, then going to the brook Cherith, then going to Zarephath and so forth, and Mount Carmel, and then all the way back down to Horeb. And as we think about that, we think about God trying to do a work through Elijah, but God is also doing a work in Elijah. And that's where we kind of want to focus, is the work that God is doing within Elijah. And there's some things that I want you to keep in mind. I'm just going to mention these briefly as we give consideration to the life of Elijah, one of the things he's going to come to learn is is that when God calls you and he sends you on a mission, his grace and his mercy never fail. You can count on him. And also, one of the things that Elijah is going to have to learn, along with other spokesmen for God, the power is in God. It's not in you. And Elijah will have to learn that also. And then one of the big lessons that he's going to have to learn just shortly, and we'll probably talk about this in next week or within the next two weeks. Whenever you're in turmoil, and it seems like the world is sort of closing in on you, you got to learn to listen to that small, still voice. And it's not that God just speaks to us in some mystical way, some small, still voice, I believe the emphasis is this, that you need to listen. When there's all this turmoil, when there's all this noise, when all this stuff is going on around you and in the world, listen to God, and He'll guide you through this. I believe that's a lesson that Elijah will have to learn also. 
So keeping those things in mind, I already got the first one up there. First Kings, the seventeenth chapter. I'm going to read verse one again. And yes, Larry, thank you. There's Abraham and Abiram, and there's Ahab, and there's all these <laughs> names in there, but uh, those Old Testament characters and so forth. But uh, appreciate you reading that this morning. First Kings, seventeenth chapter, verse one. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. You know, oftentimes whenever we think about Elijah, and then immediately it comes to our mind and we think about prophet. And then whenever we think about prophet, we immediately want to define it. And so a prophet is a spokesman, right? And a prophet is a mouthpiece. For God. But he's also a man. (laughs) And you have to keep that in mind. And there's some pretty amazing things when you think about Elijah. At Elijah's word, kings trembled. At Elijah's word, the rain stopped. At Elijah's word, Fire came down from heaven. At Elijah's word, a lot of false prophets died. At Elijah's word. So when we think about that, and we think about him being a spokesman for God, you got to ask yourself, where did the power come from? Behind Elijah's words. It wasn't in Elijah. It was the one who he's speaking for. So let me ask you a question just quickly as we get into this. Whenever you think about Elijah, what comes to your mind? Do you think about Elijah going to Ahab? Or do you think about Elijah being fed by the ravens in the morning and in the evening and sitting by the brook chair? Do you think about Elijah going to Zarephath and there's that widow woman there and he ends up raising her son from the dead? Do you think about Elijah? And this is one of the most famous incidents is on Mount Carmel and that showdown with those prophets. And we'll talk about that one also. But do you think about Elijah also? And then he runs. (laughs) He runs and he hides. And somehow, when we get to that point, And then we try to reconcile that with Luke, the first chapter, where John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And you say, wait a minute. (laughs) I remember when Elijah was running for his life. And when it talks about Elijah running there, that's not just running. He is terrified running. That's the way that's described. And so when we think about Elijah, And when we think about prophet, we think about somebody who's kind of bold and brash and brave and courageous and he walks in before the king and he makes this announcement. And we think about a prophet along those ways. But do we stop? And do we think about God's prophets when they were intimidated and when they were scared? And when they were lonely. And when they felt helpless. Do you know Elijah will ask God to take his life? 
those are some of the experiences of God's prophets. And that's not just from the Old Testament either. You remember Peter? On that night in which Jesus was betrayed? And he denies the Lord because he's scared? Do you remember the Apostle Paul in the times we talked about in the book of Acts this morning when God appeared to him? And Paul even writes about that in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, when he says that they feared even unto death. And so those are some of the experiences of God's spokesman too. And that's what we see sometimes with Elijah. And so we have to look at both aspects of their life so that we can learn the lessons that God intends us to glean from these Old Testament Scriptures. So here's one of the first ones. If we see that in God's spokesman, in God's prophets, Old Testament and New, then what about us? And we think about Elijah. And we think about him being outspoken. We also know times he was weak. James the fifth chapter. 17 and 18. Speaking about Elijah. Listen to what James says. He was a man with a nature just like ours. You know, I say Elijah, and that name just kind of evokes images in your brain, doesn't it? You think about John the Baptist, he's out there in the wilderness, and he's got this camel coat, and he's eating wild locusts and honey and all these kind of things. And you kind of think about this brash, bold-speaking kind of wild man. (laughs) Have you ever been there? (laughs) You ever been that wild man? And then there's the other times when Elijah is running for his life and then so we would ask the same question. You ever been there? Because James said Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Sometimes in speaking for God, it can be kind of easy to be bold and brave, isn't it? And sometimes in speaking for God, it's a whole lot more challenging, isn't it? And so James tells us Elijah is just like us, but he also goes on to tell us this, that when he prayed, it did not rain for three years and six months. So God is using this man that is sometimes very bold, but at the same time, sometimes can be very intimidated. And so he's working through him. And he's working in him. And I think that's one of the points that God wants us to see. God wants to do a work through you. He wants to do a work through me. But he wants to do a work in us at the same time. So we live in this world. And sometimes, do our fears, do our emotions, does our human nature ever get in the way of serving the Lord. Galatians, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul says, Do I make you mine enemy because I tell you the truth? Have you ever wanted to tell somebody the truth, but you thought to yourself, 
This may make them my enemy. You know, a lot of times, the part that makes them our enemy is the way in which we go about it. (laughs) You ever heard the old saying, you'll catch a lot more flies with honey than you will with vinegar? (laughs) It seems like we always want to use the vinegar. Paul said in Galatians, the sixth chapter, if any man be overtaken in a sin, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, looking to yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Is there a way that you can share the truth in a tactful sort of way? Yeah, there is. Truth still needs to be shared. And it may cause them to be your enemy. And I think that's what Paul was saying. Am I making you my enemy? Because I tell you the truth? Or have I been here? Churches of Galatia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Do you remember Paul going there? Do you remember what happened to Paul there? <laughs> he was stoned and left for dead there. And so when he writes that, do you think he writes it out of concern for them? I believe he does. But it took courage to do that. But I also know there was other times when Paul was afraid. So we have to think about all that. Do our fears, do our emotions, do our human nature ever get in the way of doing the Lord's work? Or, Do you sometimes just think to yourself, well, that's somebody else's job. That's not my job. Well, I don't want to do that. Lord, you need to ask somebody else to do that. Did that ever happen with any of God's prophets previously? Do you remember Moses when he was called? Oh, Lord, not me. I'm not eloquent of speech. And God asked him, who made your mouth anyway? (laughs) And Moses is not satisfied with that. He just tells you, you need to pick somebody else. God said, no, I chose you. I want you to go, Moses. And I'll be with you. Yes, sometimes we feel the same way. It's the Lord's work. It needs to get done. And how are we going to do it? Well, maybe one of the things that helps us along that line, if we think about what Paul wrote over in Romans, the sixth chapter, know ye not, you are servants, you are instruments of the one to whom you obey, either of sin leading unto death or of God leading unto righteousness. You choose, but you're an instrument. And God wants to use you. But do you think of yourself that way? Romans, the 12th chapter, he'll tell us that we all have different places, not saying that everybody does the same thing, but it's to find your gift, your talent, recognize you're an instrument of God, and Him using you. 
with your nature just like you are. Recognizing the powers in him, not in us. And he wants to accomplish something through you. And at the same time, he'll accomplish something in you. And so we have to keep that in mind. Something else we notice about God calling people and using them. Do you ever notice sometimes he calls people I wouldn't call? <laughs> if you were getting ready to start a nation, who would you call? Somebody young and vital and full of energy. And who does God call? He calls an old man, an old woman. <laughs> That's beyond childbearing years. Is that who you would call? And he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. If you wanted to lead a bunch of slaves out of Egypt, would you call a young man who had grown up in Pharaoh's house to lead them out of Egypt? <laughs> that's who he called. Because that's where Moses grew up. If you were looking for a king, would you go to a field and find a young boy? <coughs> That's a shepherd. I want you to be king over my people. If you wanted to preach the most important lesson that has ever been proclaimed in the history of the world, who would you get? A blue-collar fisherman <laughs> to preach the gospel for the first time? If you wanted somebody to go to the Gentiles, who would you pick? A Pharisee? <laughs> That's who God chose. Elijah. Wasn't the guy. But he was the guy. And James says he's just like us. So Elijah comes from kind of a backwoods part of the country. He's a Tishbite. And that's over in the area of Gilead. That's on the east side of the Jordan kind of a poor part of the country. People living in tents and small villages. And God calls him and sends him to the city and to Samaria, the capital. And when he goes, he's not been schooled in protocol and tact and given fine clothes to wear so that he can go in and appear before the king. What God give him? One thing. He gave him a message. You go tell Ahab, it's not going to rain. No, no, it's not, not that it's not even going to rain. There's not even going to be any dew. And you tell him who you serve, and until I say so, 
there's not going to be any moisture in this land. That's the one thing I'm giving you. And so he goes and he delivers that message. And we think to ourselves, is that the guy you would choose to go deliver that message? So let's say you had a Messiah and you were going to send him. What would your Messiah look like? Tall, dark, and handsome? You know what Isaiah says about the Messiah? He was not comely in form that we might look upon him. In other words, he wasn't like Saul. (laughs) And so when they looked at Jesus, you know what they said? This is your Messiah? (laughs) Is that the best you could do? It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 14. Paul says we have been called by the gospel. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. God called him. That was the manner in which he called Elijah. And now today he calls people through this word. Does it make it any less of a calling? Absolutely not. (laughs) It's just, this is the manner in which God calls now. And it's through the gospel. And those who will respond, you become an instrument of God. That's what Paul says. When he wrote to Timothy, he said, we are earthen vessels. You know what that means? A very... Precious message contained in a very frail container. (laughs) That's what that means. So God calls and he has a purpose. And when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, verses 8 and 9 are the passages we're most familiar with. You've been saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. That's the part we're familiar with. This is the part that we're not as familiar with. Verse 10. For you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. You know what that word workmanship means? You're his masterpiece. His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Does that mean that at the moment he calls us and at the moment that we respond That we're just polished and ready to go? (laughs) Not so much. That Ephesians 2 and verse 10, you are his masterpiece. It takes a little while to make that masterpiece, doesn't it? (laughs) Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
the Hebrew writer suggests we should press on to maturity. Become what He wants us to be. And the more we become like Him, the more He can use us as His instrument. But while we strive to serve, He does a work through us and He does a work in us. And it's the same thing with Elijah. And that's what we're going to see. He will call him from the area of Tish. He's a Tishbite. He will send him to Samaria and then he will tell him immediately, get out of town and go back where you came from. <laughs> He'll go back to familiar territory. At least for a little while. And then he'll send him to Zarephath. And from there to Carmel. And from there to Horeb. And then back again. All the while doing a work through him and in him. So God sent Elijah with a message. And the reason why he sent him with that message is because God was being forsaken. They were turning totally away from him. He sends him to an apostate king that's ruling over an apostate people. And God's not going to just let them go. He's going to throw everything at them to call them back. It's the same thing. It's the same thing today. Ephesians 4, about verse 11 and 12. Paul wrote, And he gave some to be apostles, prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ he gave all those with a purpose so as you think about Elijah you think about God calling a man with a nature just like ours And he's going to do a work through him, but he's going to do a work in him. Secondly, the times in which Elijah lived. Now I'm going to back up and read verse 29 through 33. 1 Kings 16, 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. In the very capital of Israel, he builds a temple to Baal. And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And I'll leave it right there. We can talk about Hile, but that's not the point right now. So as you come to the time of Ahab, this is approximately about 870 B.C. The nation divided a little over 60-some years earlier when Solomon passed away and his son Rehoboam came to the throne and he would not take counsel from the people as to what he should do and he ends up dividing the nation. 
six kings in that northern kingdom have come and gone. Ahab is the seventh. And every one of them have been unfaithful. Every one of them have done evil. And now Ahab comes along and he says he does more evil than all of them that went before him. And it's interesting to look at his father, Omri, and he was worse than all those that got before him. It's beginning progressively worse, worse with every king. But not only is he unfaithful, now he's made an alliance with Sidon. He's married a Sidonian princess by the name of Jezebel. And together, they promote Baal worship. And so as some commentators have said, it's not that just God is being forsaken or forgotten. Ahab and Jezebel want to replace him. Doesn't want Jehovah worshipped or served at all. And so it says, he built a temple in the capital for Baal, right there. It's suggested most every time that you come to a study of Ahab that Jezebel was one that was really the power behind the throne, so to speak. And we're told over in 1 Kings 21, about verse 25, that one of the reasons why Ahab did so much evil as he did, it says because Jezebel stirred him up. <laughs> you ever heard of a wife stirring up a husband? Well, we won't talk about that today, but nonetheless. She stirred him up. And he did more evil than any of those who had gone before him. You know what else is interesting recorded there in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter? When it talks about Baal, when it talks about the prophets of Baal, it says that they ate at Jezebel's table. What's that tell you? Well, obviously she is supporting these false prophets of this false god. But they are sitting at Jezebel's table. Now stop and think about that for just a moment. Where is Jezebel's table? Ahab is king where? In Israel. Where is Jezebel's table? In Israel. And where are these false prophets being supported? In Israel. By the queen. So here's the bonus question. Where does Jezebel get the wherewithal to finance this? Ever stop and think about that? Where does Ahab get the wherewithal to finance anything? Same place. Our government gets the money to finance anything. It's got to come from the people you rule over. 
Does a light come on? Jezebel, the main promoter of false worship and of this false god, is supporting these false prophets sitting at her table. And where did the wherewithal, where did the finances come to support that? From the very people that she's trying to lead astray. Can you see the audacity in that? Can you imagine a government that would take money from its people and then use it to do things that would destroy its own people? Is First Kings alive and well today? I think so, isn't it? Read me that Old Testament again. Israel, by proxy, is promoting a false god. The very thing that is going to destroy them. You know why Baal was so popular? Because it was said that Baal was the one, the god of fertility and prosperity. You want the herds to grow, you want the flocks to grow, you want the crops to grow. Worship Baal. He's he's the one that can bless that. And so that's what they're being told. But let me ask you, is that the truth? It's absolutely not the truth. Jesus drives a stake right through the heart of that thing. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. It is God who sends the sunshine and the rain on both the just and the unjust. Why? Because He's a loving and merciful God. So even though they may not be serving Him, He's still blessing them. But the credit is going to Baal. So Ahab reigns for 22 years. You ever saw anything about that? Now we've been studying 1 Kings and those who are here on Wednesday night and I encourage all the rest of you to be here. <laughs> Six kings have come and gone. Some of those kings have reigned for a very short time. One of them managed a whole week. <laughs> Didn't he? There has been intrigue within the nation as far as the leadership is concerned. There has been murder and assassination. And Ahab comes along and he reigns for 22 years. What does that tell you? If nothing else, no matter what else you think about Ahab, he brought some stability. He brought stability. 22 years. With instability, oftentimes nations do fairly well. Fairly well. No real major, not to say there aren't any, but no real major threats from foreign powers at this particular time. Things are generally going okay. Okay. 
That's the good news. You want to know what the bad news is? Things are going okay. These are dark times politically. Because who's on the throne? These are dark times spiritually. Because of who's on the throne. But generally speaking, things are going okay. Is that good? In reality, no. It's bad. I want you to stop and think about that for this month. Those of you that are here that are at least as old as I am, getting to be fewer and fewer of you. Do you remember when presidents went to church? Remember that? Oh yeah, I remember that. And they would show it on Sundays. Going to, coming from. Presidents going to church. Those of you who are old enough to remember Jimmy Carter, no matter what you thought about his politics, I think Jimmy was a good man. He was a good man. Do you remember Jimmy teaching Sunday school? Absolutely. Do you remember in a campaign just a few decades ago, not that long, when one of the slogans was, Character matters. You remember that? The unfortunate part about it was it didn't matter too much. And nowadays it matters even less. Out of the last couple of presidents that we've had, which one do you think taught Sunday school? Let me ask you something. Overall, have things been okay? Overall, things have been okay. Here's a point to hit home. America. You know what the slogan is? The motto is? Oftentimes when an election comes around, you know what is said about the average American citizen? How he, he or she votes? They vote their pocketbook. Oh, he's not such a good guy. Really questionable character. But how's the economy doing? Got my vote. What if the nation is in serious decline spiritually? You still going to vote for him? Yeah. Because I think he can run the economy. Do you think America needs to change? Do you think Israel needed to change? These are dark times politically. These are dark times spiritually. But things are going okay. So you know what's interesting in this? God's going to draw a contrast. He's going to draw a contrast between Baal and himself. And now you all are going to get to choose who's God. And how is it that God is going to get their attention? He's going to stop the rain 
And if he stops the rain, you know what that stops? That stops the economy, folks. I need your attention. I'm going to hit you right in the pocketbook. I'll get your attention. Can you see that? I'll stop the rain. They've been telling you Baal was the one that makes you prosper? Are you kidding me? Let him try it without rain. You've been serving him? Your king has built a temple for him in the capital that I gave him? (laughs) You know what this is? This is going to be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, where God said, if you chase after God, the gods, I will shut up the clouds. I will close the skies so that it doesn't rain. So you look at that. And you think to yourself, what would it take to get America's attention? What would it take? Elijah, the man. As I mentioned earlier, he probably came from a poor area. And he's sent to the king, and he's not a statesman, but he's just got one job. I just need you to go deliver this message. It's not going to rain except at my word. And you serve Jehovah. You know what Elijah's name means? Elijah means Jehovah is my God. In a land that is being overrun by Baal worship and everybody's being told that Baal is the one that makes you to prosper, here comes a guy from the backwoods, walks right into the palace of the king, And can you imagine a servant of the king saying, well, excuse me, sir, somebody's outside to see you. Well, who is it? Well, his name is Jehovah is my God. You want to see him? He came here. The very seat and heart of Baal worship. Yeah, I want to hear this guy. Send him in. And he comes in. He delivers that one message. And as soon as he delivers it, we didn't read verse 2. We just read through 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. Verse 2, God says, get out of town. (laughs) It's going to be a little dangerous around here. And so Elijah leaves. And he heads back to the Berkshire. Jehovah is my God. It's conviction. about the true God and about true worship. You think America could use that? There's still one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Paul wrote it in the first century and it's still true today. Oh, there's a lot of religion still in America, but it's not the true religion. And so his name speaks of his conviction. And in America, we could use more whose names speak of conviction and then act on it. 
even when we go to the voting booth. This is not a political platform, but there is a moral obligation. So he comes in, straightforward, plain spoken, no negotiation, and he delivers that message, there'll be no dew and there'll be no rain except at my word. And what this is, this is not a showdown between a prophet and a king. This is a showdown between the true God and a false God. So what's some of the lessons, just very quickly, that uh, we'll glean from looking at Elijah? One of the things is, God's looking for tough people in tough times. And and he calls on Elijah. But he'll work with him. He'll work through him. And he will work in him. One of the other lessons was, if you were going to choose somebody to do that work, who would you choose? It's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And God's still looking for those people. God develops people to do His work. You know, a lot of times we come here and Daniel didn't lead this song this morning, but maybe one of these days he will. There's a song that we sometimes sing together called Stand Up for Jesus. You're singing it? Stand Up for Jesus. And it's easy to come here and sing it all together. You know what, God? You know what God's looking for? He's looking for those who can sing it solo. That's what he's looking for. So Elijah's message and his mission are plainly stated in his name. Jehovah is my God. So that's kind of the introduction to these studies we'll take a look at with Elijah the prophet, the things that we can learn from him. But we're going to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here who have never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd encourage you to do that even this very day. If you're a child of God and need to make your life right, let us know. Let us help while together we stand and while we sing.